Welcome to this week in surgery your filtered medical journal summary. Looking to stay up to date with the latest medical research but short on time? This week in surgery has you covered. Our podcast provides you with a convenient, on-the-go solution to keep you informed about the most significant developments in the surgical field. We understand that your time is valuable, so we've done the hard work for you. Each episode offers a filtered and concentrated summary of key journal articles, allowing you to stay informed without the need to sift through pages of research papers. With this week in surgery, listening is faster than reading, and you can consume valuable medical knowledge while commuting, exercising, or during your daily routine, including in the operating room. This week in surgery we will be discussing recently published articles. First, Annals of Surgery. On Dancitron for Low Anterior Resection Syndrome, LARS, a double-blind, placebo-controlled, crossover, randomized study. Objective. The aim of the study was to examine the efficacy and safety of ondansetron, a serotonin receptor antagonist, to treat patients with low anterior resection syndrome, LARS. Background. LARS after rectal resection is common and debilitating. Current management strategies include behavioral and dietary modifications, physiotherapy, antidiarrheal drugs, enemas, and neuromodulation, but the results are not always satisfactory. Methods. This is a randomized, multicentric, double-blinded, placebo-controlled, and crossover study. Patients with LARS, LARS score greater than 20, no longer than 2 years after rectal resection were randomized to receive either 4 weeks of ondansetron followed by 4 weeks of placebo, OP group, or 4 weeks of placebo followed by 4 weeks of ondansetron, PO group. The primary endpoint was LARS severity measured using the LARS score, secondary endpoints were incontinence, Basy score and irritable bowel syndrome quality of life, IBS call questionnaire. Patient scores and questionnaires were completed at baseline and after each four week treatment period. Results Of 46 randomized patients, 38 were included in the analysis. From baseline to the end of the first period, in the OP group, the mean SD, LAR score decreased by 25%, from 36.6, 5.6, to 27.3, 11.5, and the proportion of patients with major LARS, score greater than 30, went from 1517, 88%, to 717, 41%, p equals 0.001. In the PO group, the mean, SD, LARS score decreased by 12%, from 37, 4.8, to 32.6, 9.1, and the proportion of major LARS went from 1921, 90%, to 1621, 76%. After crossover, LARS scores deteriorated again in the OP group receiving placebo, but further improved in the PO group receiving ondansetron. Mean VASI scores and IBS call scores followed a similar pattern. Conclusions Ondansetron is a safe and simple treatment that appears to improve both symptoms and call in LARS patients. How does surgeon's autonomic physiology vary intraoperatively? A real-time study of cardiac reactivity. Objective. To measure the physiological responses of surgical team members under varying levels of intraoperative risk. Background. Measurement of intraoperative physiological responses provides insight into how operation complexity, phase of surgery, and surgeon seniority impact stress. Methods. 
Autonomic nervous system responses, interbeat intervals, EBs, were measured continuously during different surgical operations of various complexity. The study investigated whether professional role, e.g. attending surgeon, operative risk, high versus low, and type of primary operator, attending surgeon versus resident, impacted EB reactivity. Physiological synchrony captured the degree of correspondence between individuals' physiological responses at any given time point. Results A total of 10,005 observations of EB reactivity were recorded in 26 participants during 16 high-risk, renal transplant and laparoscopic donor nephrectomy, and low-risk, arteriovenous fistula formation, operations. Attending surgeons showed greater EB reactivity, faster heart rate, than residents and nurses during high-risk operations and while actively operating, P's less than 0.001. Residents showed lower reactivity during high-risk, relative to low-risk, operations, P less than 0.001, and similar reactivity regardless of whether they or the attending surgeon was operating, P equals 0.10. Nurses responded similarly during low-risk and high-risk operations, P equals 0.102 but were more reactive when the resident was operating compared to when the attending surgeon was the primary operator, P less than 0.001. In high-risk operations, attending surgeons had negative physiological covariation with residents and nurses, P less than 0.001. In low-risk operations, only attending surgeons and nurses were synchronized, P less than 0.001. Conclusion Attending surgeons' physiological responses were well calibrated to operative demands. Residents' and nurses' responses were not calibrated to the same extent. This suggests that risk sensitivity is an adaptive response to stress that surgeons acquire. Propensity score matching analysis comparing robotic versus laparoscopic limited liver resections of the posterior superior segments, an international multicenter study. Objective The purpose of this study was to compare the outcomes of robotic limited liver resections, RLLR, versus laparoscopic limited liver resections, LLLR, of the posterior superior segments. Background both laparoscopic and robotic liver resections have been used for tumors in the posterior superior liver segments. However, the comparative performance and safety of both approaches have not been well examined in the existing literature. Methods This is a post hoc analysis of a multicenter database of 5,446 patients who underwent RLLR or LLLR of the posterior superior segments, I, IVA, 7, and 8 at 60 international centers between 2008 and 2021. Data on baseline demographics, center experience and volume, tumor features and perioperative characteristics were collected and analyzed. Propensity score matching, PSM, analysis, in both 1 to 1 and 1 to 2 ratios, was performed to minimize selection bias. Results A total of 3,510 cases met the study criteria, of whom 3,049 underwent LLLR, 87%, and 461 underwent RLLR, 13%. After PSM, 1 to 1 and 1 to 2, RLLR was associated with a lower open conversion rate, 10 of 449, 2.2%, versus 54 of 898, 6.0%, P equals 0.002, less blood loss, 100 milliliters, IQR, 
50 to 200 days versus 150 milliliters, IQR, 50 to 350, P less than 0.001, and a shorter operative time, 188 minutes, IQR, 140 to 270, versus 222 minutes, IQR, 158 to 300, P less than 0.001. These improved perioperative outcomes associated with RLLR were similarly seen in a subset analysis of patients with cirrhosis, lower open conversion rate, 1 of 136, 0.7%, versus 17 of 272, 6.2%, P equals 0.009, less blood loss, 100 milliliters, IQR, 48 to 200, versus 160 milliliters, IQR, 50 to 400, P less than 0.001, and shorter operative time, 190 minutes, IQR, 141 to 250. Readmission Morbidity and mortality were similar between RLR and LLLR in both the overall PSM cohort and cirrhosis patient subset. Conclusions RLLR for the posterosuperior segments was associated with superior perioperative outcomes in terms of decreased operative time, blood loss, and open conversion rate when compared with LLR. Liver histology predicts liver regeneration and outcome in ALPS, novel findings from a multi-center study. Background and aims. Alterations in liver histology influence the liver's capacity to regenerate, but the relevance of each of the different changes in rapid liver growth induction is unknown. This study aimed to analyze the influence of the degree of histological alterations during the first and second stages on the ability of the liver to regenerate. Methods. This cohort study included data obtained from the International Alps Registry between November 2011 and October 2020. Only patients with colorectal liver metastases were included in the study. We developed a histological risk score based on histological changes, stages 1 and 2, and a tumor pathology score based on the histological factors associated with poor tumor prognosis. Results In total, 395 patients were included. The time to reach stage 2 was shorter in patients with a low histological risk stage 1, 13 versus 17 days, P0.01, low histological risk stage 2, 13 versus 15 days, P less than 0.01, and low pathological tumor risk, 13 versus 15 days, P less than 0.01. Regarding interval stage, there was a higher inverse correlation in high histological risk stage 1 group compared to low histological risk 1 group in relation with future liver remnant body weight, R equals minus 0.1, and R equals minus 0.08, respectively, and future liver remnant, R equals minus 0.15 and R equals minus 0.06, respectively. Conclusions ALPS is associated with increased histological alterations in the liver parenchyma. It seems that the more histological alterations present and the higher the number of poor prognostic factors in the tumor histology, the longer the time to reach the second stage. (music) 
Next article is from Journal of American Medical Association Surgery. Postoperative Antibiotics, Outcomes, and Resource Use in Children with Gangrenous Appendicitis Importance Gangrenous, Suppurative and Exudative GSE findings have been associated with increased surgical site infection, SSI, risk and resource use in children with non-perforated appendicitis. Establishing the role for postoperative antibiotics may have important implications for infection prevention and antimicrobial stewardship. Objective to compare SSI rates in children with non-perforated appendicitis with GSE findings who did and did not receive postoperative antibiotics. Design, setting, and participants children with non-perforated appendicitis with GSE findings who underwent appendectomy between July 1, 2015, and June 30, 2020, were identified using previously validated intraoperative criteria. Data were analyzed from October 2022 to July 2023. Exposure continuation of antibiotics after appendectomy. Main outcomes and measures rate of 30-day postoperative SSI including both incisional and organ space infections. Complementary hospital and patient-level analyses were conducted to explore the association between postoperative antibiotic use and severity-adjusted outcomes. The hospital-level analysis explored the correlation between postoperative antibiotic use and observed to expected, OE, SSI rate ratios after adjusting for differences in disease severity, presence of gangrene and postoperative length of stay, among hospital populations. In the patient-level analysis, propensity score matching was used to balance groups on disease severity, and outcomes were compared using mixed-effects logistic regression to adjust for hospital-level clustering. Results a total of 958 children mean SD, age, 10.7, 3.7, years, 567 male, 59.2%, were included in the hospital-level analysis, of which 573, 59.8%, received postoperative antibiotics. No correlation was found between hospital-level SSI-OE ratios and postoperative antibiotic use when analyzed by either overall rate of use, hospital median, 53.6%, range, 31.6% to 100%, Spearman row equals minus 0.10, p equals 0.71 or by postoperative antibiotic duration, hospital median, 1 day, range, 0 to 7 days, Spearman row equals minus 0.07, p equals 0.79. In the propensity matched patient level analysis including 404 patients, children who received postoperative antibiotics had similar rates of SSI compared with children who did not receive postoperative antibiotics. 3 of 202, 1.5%, versus 4 of 202, 2.0%, odds ratio, 0.75, 95% C, 0.16 to 3.39, P equals 0.70. Conclusions and relevance use of postoperative antibiotics did not improve outcomes in children with non-perforated appendicitis with gangrenous, suppurative, or exudative findings. Next article is from British Journal of Surgery. Evaluation of a quality improvement intervention to reduce anastomotic leak following right colectomy, Eagle, Pragmatic, Batch Step Wedge, Cluster Randomized Trial in 64 Countries. Background Anastomotic leak affects 8% of patients after right colectomy with a tenfold increased risk of postoperative death. 
The EGLE study aimed to develop and test whether an international, standardized quality improvement intervention could reduce anastomotic leaks. Methods The internationally intended protocol, iteratively co-developed by a multi-stage Delphi process, comprised an online educational module introducing risk stratification, an intraoperative checklist, and harmonized surgical techniques. Clusters, hospital teams, were randomized to one of three arms with varied sequences of intervention data collection by a derived step-wedge batch design, at least 18 hospital teams per batch. Patients were blinded to the study allocation. Low- and middle-income country enrollment was encouraged. The primary outcome, assessed by intention to treat, was anastomotic leak rate and subgroup analyzes by module completion, at least 80% of surgeons, high engagement, less than 50%, low engagement, were pre-planned. Results A total 355 hospital teams registered, with 332 from 64 countries, 39.2% low and middle income, included in the final analysis. The online modules were completed by half of the surgeons, 2,143 of 4,411. The primary analysis included 3,039 of the 3,268 patients recruited, 206 patients had no anastomosis and 23 were lost to follow-up, with anastomotic leaks arising before and after the intervention in 10.1 and 9.6% respectively, adjusted or 0.87, 95% CI 0.59 to 1.30. P equals 0.498. The proportion of surgeons completing the educational modules was an influence, the leak rate decreased from 12.2%, 61 of 500, before intervention to 5.1%, 24 of 473, after intervention in high engagement centers, adjusted or 0.36, 0.20 to 0.64, P less than 0.001, but this was not observed in low engagement hospitals. 8.3%, 59 of 714, and 13.8%, 61 of 443, respectively, adjusted or 2.09, 1.31 to 3.31. Conclusion Completion of globally available digital training by engaged teams can alter anastomotic leak rates. Next article is from Journal of Vascular Surgery. Fate of primary determinate and indeterminate target vessel endoleaks after fenestrated branched endovascular aortic repair. Objective The aim of this study was to investigate the outcomes of primary determinate and indeterminate target vessel endoleaks, TVELs, after fenestrated branched endovascular aortic repair, FBEVR. Methods We conducted a single-center retrospective study, 2014-2023, on FBEVR for thoracoabdominal, TUS, or perirenal aortic aneurysms, PRES. TWELs were classified as primary if present at the first postoperative computed tomography angiogram. Endoleaks were defined determinate, DELs, if the cause, typic or phyc, and implicated target vessel were identifiable and indeterminate, EELs, if contrast enhancement was detectable at the level of fenestration slash branches without any evidence source. Endoleaks involving multiple inflows, type 2 and target vessels, were defined as complex, cells. Endpoints were endoleak spontaneous resolution, one-year aneurysm sac failure to regress, greater than 5 mm diameter decrease, and four-year endoleak-related secondary interventions. 
Kaplan-Meier estimates and Cox regression were used for the analysis. Results There were 142 patients with JRS slash PRES, N equals 85, 60%, or TIS, N equals 57, 40%, with 513 target arteries incorporated through a fenestration, N equals 294, 57%, or directional branch, N equals 219, 43%. 59 primary fells, 12%, were identified in 35 patients, 25%, Adele in 20 patients, 14%, and Eel in 15, 11%. 22, 15%, had a determinate or indeterminate cell. Overall spontaneous resolution rate was 75%, 95% confidence interval, C, 51% to 87%, at 4 years. Cells, odds ratio, or 5.00, 95% C, 1.10 to 49.4, P less than 0.001, and eels after Bever, or 9.43, 95% C, 3.41 to 56.4, p equals 0.002, were more likely to persist greater than 6 months, and persistent forms were associated with sac failure to regress at 1 year or 1.72, 95% c, 1.03 to 12.59, p equals 0.040. Overall freedom from endoleak-related reinterventions was 85%, 95% c, 79% to 92%, at 4 years, 92%, 95% C, 87% to 97%, for those without primary fells and 62%, 95% C, 46% to 84%, for those with any primary fell, P less than 0.001. In particular, cells, hazard ratio, 1.94, 95% C, 1.4 to 18.81, P equals 0.020 were associated with an increased need for reintervention. In case a secondary intervention was needed, eel or cell had an increased risk for multiple secondary procedures, hazard ratio, 2.67, 95% C, 1.22 to 10.34, P equals 0.034. Conclusions Primary fells are frequent after FBEVR, and a clear characterization of the endoleak source by computed tomography angiogram is not possible in 40% of patients. Most primary fell spontaneously resolve, but during follow-up, patients with any primary fell experience a worsened freedom from endoleak-related reinterventions that is mostly driven by persistence of cells and post-bever eels. Multiple secondary procedures may be required in case of eels or cells. Cardiac risk after elective endovascular repair for infrarenal abdominal aortic aneurysm, results from the Italian collaborators for EVAR Multicenter Registry. Objective Major adverse cardiac events, MACEs, were common complications after endovascular aortic repair, EVAR, causing significant postoperative morbidity and mortality. The aim of the study was to evaluate the cardiac risk after elective EVAR for uncomplicated non-infected infrarenal abdominal aortic aneurysm in a large multi-center cohort. Methods This is a multi-center, retrospective, financially unsupported physician-initiated observational cohort study conducted by four academic tertiary referral hospitals from January 2018 to March 2021. Baseline, perioperative, and postoperative information of elective EVARs was evaluated. 
The primary outcome was the incidence of maces after FR, which was defined as acute coronary syndrome, non-ST elevation myocardial infarction, unstable angina pectoris, de novo atrial fibrillation, hospitalization for heart failure, and revascularization as well as cardiovascular death. Secondary outcomes were one-year overall survival, all-cause mortality, and freedom from aorta-related mortality. Comparative analysis was conducted between MACE and overall population, and univariate and multivariate logistic regression analyzes were used to analyze factors associated with the risk of the MACE occurrence and early one-year mortality. Results The study has enrolled 497 patients, 35 females, 7%, with a mean age of 75.3 plus or minus 7.8 years. The MACE rate was 6.4%, 32,497, events-slash-patients, and the majority of the events were recorded in the postoperative period, 24-30 seconds, 75%, overall 24,497, 4.8%. One-year survival from all-cause mortality was 94%, 95% confidence interval, C, 91-96, and the MACE population showed a significantly lower survival estimation rate, overall, MACEs, 95.8%, 95% C, 93 to 97 minus 67.9%, 95% C, 47 to 82, log rank 41.950, P equals 0. 0.0001. Freedom from aorta-related mortality was 99.3%, 95% C, 98 to 100. The perioperative need for red blood cell transfusions was strongly related to the MACE occurrence, odds ratio, 2.67, 95% C, 1.52 to 4.68, P equals 0.001, and one-year mortality, hazard ratio, 2.14, 95% C, 1.48 to 3.09, P equals 0.0001. Conclusions Maces represent a common complication in the postoperative and early period after elective FR. Blood loss requiring red blood cell transfusions is associated with increased postoperative maces and early mortality, suggesting that all the efforts should be carried out to reduce the bleeding during and after elective interventions. Association of stroke or death with severity of carotid lesion calcification in patients undergoing carotid artery stenting. Objective. Carotid artery stenting, CAS, for heavily calcified lesions is controversial due to concern for stent failure and increased perioperative stroke risk. However, the degree to which calcification affects outcomes is poorly understood, particularly in transcarotid artery revascularization, TCAR. With the precipitous increase in CAR use and its expansion to standard surgical risk patients, we aim to determine the impact of lesion calcification on CAS outcomes to ensure its safe and appropriate use. Methods We identified patients in the Vascular Quality Initiative who underwent first-time transfemoral CAS, TFGAS, and CAR between 2016 and 2021. Patients were stratified into groups based on degree of lesion calcification, no calcification, 1% to 50% calcification, 51% to 99% calcification, and 100% circumferential calcification or intraluminal protrusion. Outcomes included in-hospital and one-year composite stroke-slash-death, as well as individual stroke, death, and myocardial infarction outcomes. 
Logistic regression was used to evaluate associations between degree of calcification and these outcomes. Results Among 21,860 patients undergoing CAS, 28% patients had no calcification, 34% had 1% to 50% calcification, 35% had 51% to 99% calcification, and 3% had 100% circumferential calcification slash protrusion. Patients with 51% to 99% and circumferential calcification slash protrusion had higher odds of in-hospital stroke slash death, odds ratio, or, 1.3, 95% confidence interval, c, 1.02 to 1.6, p equals 0.034, or, 1.9, 95% c, 1.1 to 2.9, p equals 0.004, respectively, compared with those with no calcification. Circumferential calcification was also associated with increased risk for anhospital myocardial infarction or 3.5, 95% C, 1.5 to 8.0, P equals 0.003. In FIS patients, only circumferential calcification slash protrusion was associated with higher in-hospital stroke slash death odds or 2.0, 95% C, 1.2 to 3.4, P equals 0.013 whereas for CAR patients, 51% to 99% calcification was associated with increased odds of in-hospital stroke-slash-death, or, 1.5, 95% 1.1 to 2.2, p equals 0.025. At one year, circumferential calcification-slash-protrusion was associated with higher odds of lateral stroke-slash-death, 12.4% versus 6.6%, hazard ratio, 1.64, P equals 0.002. Conclusions Among patients undergoing CAS, there is an increased risk of in-hospital stroke-slash-death for lesions with greater than 50% calcification or circumferential-slash-protruding plaques. Increasing severity of carotid lesion calcification is a significant risk factor for stroke-slash-death in patients undergoing CAS, regardless of approach. Next article is from Surgical Endoscopy. Evaluation Status of Current and Emerging Minimally Invasive Robotic Surgical Platforms Background The rapid adoption of robotics within minimally invasive surgical specialties has also seen an explosion of new technology including multi- and single-port, natural orifice transluminal endoscopic surgery, notes, endoluminal and on-demand platforms. This review aims to evaluate the validation status of current and emerging MIS robotic platforms using the ideal framework. Methods A scoping review exploring robotic minimally invasive surgical devices, technology and systems in use or being developed was performed, including general surgery, gynecology, urology and cardiothoracics. Systems operating purely outside the abdomen or thorax and endoluminal or natural orifice platforms were excluded. PubMed, Google Scholar, Journal Reports and information from the public domain were collected. Each company was approached via email for a virtual interview to discover more about the systems and a quality check data. The Ideal Framework is an internationally accepted tool to evaluate novel surgical technology, consisting of four stages, idea, development-slash-exploration, assessment, and surveillance. An ideal stage, synonymous with validation status in this review, was assigned by reviewing the published literature. Results
21 companies with 23 different robotic platforms were identified for data collection, 13 with national and or international regulatory approval. Of the 17 multiport systems, one is fully evaluated at stage 4, two are stage 3, six stage 2B, two at stage 2A, two stage 1, and four at the pre-ideal stage 0. Of the six single port systems none have been fully evaluated with one at stage 3, three at stage 1 and two at stage 0. Conclusions The majority of existing robotic platforms are currently at the preclinical to developmental and exploratory stage of evaluation. Using the ideal framework will ensure that emerging robotic platforms are fully evaluated with long-term data to inform the surgical workforce and ensure patient safety. Next article is from Annals of Surgical Oncology. Neoadjuvant chemotherapy improves oncological outcomes and long-term survival among elderly patients with locally advanced gastric cancer, a propensity score matched analysis. Introduction In the USA, approximately half of newly diagnosed patients with GC are 75 years or older. The objective of the current population-based study was to investigate the impact of neoadjuvant chemotherapy, NAC, on the outcomes of elderly patients with locally advanced GC. Patients and Methods Patients aged more than 75 years were identified from the National Cancer Database, NCDB. The primary outcome of the study was overall survival, OS. Secondary outcomes included lymph node, lane, harvest, surgical margin status, and 30-day mortality. To minimize the effect of selection bias on the assessed outcome between the two study groups, NAC versus no NAC propensity score matching, PSM, was performed. Results. After PSM, a total of 1958 patients were included in both groups. NAC utilization increased from 2013 to 2019, 21% versus 42.7%, trend less than 0.001. On pathologic analysis, patients who received NAC were more likely to have greater than or equal to 16 LNs evaluated, NAC 60.1% versus no NAC 55.5%. P equals 0.044, and negative resection margins, NAC 88.6% versus no NAC 83%, P equals 0.001. Patients who received NAC were also less likely to experience 30-day mortality following resection, NAC 4.1% versus no NAC 7.1%. Receipt of NAC was associated with improved one-year, 73.9% versus 68.3%, three-year, 48.2% versus 43.5%, and 5-year OS, 36.9% versus 30.5%, compared with patients who underwent upfront surgery, P equals 0.01. Conclusions Receipt of NAC was associated with improved oncological outcomes among elderly patients undergoing resection for locally advanced GC. Next article is from Obesity Surgery. Gastroesophageal reflux disease and weight loss after fund application sleeve gastrectomy, a systematic review and meta-analysis. Introduction. Fund application sleeve gastrectomy, FSG, is a novel bariatric procedure that combines anti-reflux fund application with sleeve gastrectomy, SG, 
to simultaneously address gastroesophageal reflux disease, GERD, and obesity. We performed a systematic review and meta-analysis to quantify the prevalence of postoperative GERD and amount of weight loss after FSG. Methods We searched PubMed, Embase, and Web of Science core collection in May 2023 for full-text reports of case series, registries, cohort studies, and randomized clinical trials that reported postoperative GERD and percent excess weight loss, percent EWL, after FSG for patients with preoperative GERD and obesity, excluding reports including patients with previous history of bariatric procedures. We used random effects models to estimate postoperative GERD prevalence and percent EWL. Risk of bias and evidence quality were assessed with the Robbins I and Grade Frameworks, Prospero CRD 4202342067. Results Of the 935 records initially identified, 13 studies from 8 countries met our inclusion criteria. The prevalence of postoperative GERD pooled from 418 patients was 4.8%, 95% C, 2.8 to 8.4%. Pooled percent EWL, available for 225 patients from 7 studies, was 67.8%, 95% C, 55.2 to 80.5. The overall quality of evidence was low, largely due to observational study design, lack of blinded outcome assessment, and evidence of publication bias. Conclusion Fund application sleeve gastrectomy is an emerging surgical approach for patients with obesity and GERT with promising initial outcomes. Additional studies of efficacy and safety are needed to compare FSG and its technical variations with other weight loss procedures. Next article is from International Journal of Surgery. Impact of Sarcopenia on Outcomes in Surgical Patients, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis. Background. Surgeons have historically used age as a preoperative predictor of postoperative outcomes. Sarcopenia, the loss of skeletal muscle mass due to disease or biological age, has been proposed as a more accurate risk predictor. The prognostic value of sarcopenia assessment in surgical patients remains poorly understood. Therefore, the authors aim to synthesize the available literature and investigate the impact of sarcopenia on perioperative and postoperative outcomes across all surgical specialties. Methods The authors systematically assess the prognostic value of sarcopenia on postoperative outcomes by conducting a systematic review and meta-analysis according to preferred reporting items for systematic reviews and meta-analyses, PRISMA, guidelines, searching the PubMed slash Medline and Base databases from inception to 1st of October 2022. Their primary outcomes were complication occurrence, mortality, length of operation and hospital stay, discharge to home, and post-discharge survival rate at 1, 3, and 5 years. Subgroup analysis was performed by stratifying complications according to the Clavin-Dindo classification system. Results A total of 294 studies comprising 97,643 patients, of which 33070 had sarcopenia, were included in our analysis. Sarcopenia was associated with significantly poorer postoperative outcomes, including greater mortality, complication occurrence, length of hospital stay, and lower rates of discharge to home, all p less than 0.00001.
A significantly lower survival rate in patients with sarcopenia was noted at 1, 3, and 5 years, all p less than 0.00001, after surgery. Subgroup analysis confirmed higher rates of complications and mortality in oncological, both p less than 0.00001, cardiovascular, both p less than 0.00001, and emergency, p equals 0.03 and p equals 0.04, respectively, patients with sarcopenia. In the transplant surgery cohort, mortality was significantly higher in patients with sarcopenia, p less than 0.00001. Among all patients undergoing surgery for inflammatory bowel disease, the frequency of complications was significantly increased among sarcopenic patients, p equals 0.007. Sensitivity analysis based on higher quality studies and prospective studies showed that sarcopenia remained a significant predictor of mortality and complication occurrence, all p less than 0.00001. Conclusion Sarcopenia is a significant predictor of poorer outcomes in surgical patients. Preoperative assessment of sarcopenia can help surgeons identify patients at risk, critically balance eligibility, and refine perioperative management. Large-scale studies are required to further validate the importance of sarcopenia as a prognostic indicator of perioperative risk, especially in surgical subspecialties. Next article is from Journal of the American College of Surgeons. Defining Standards for Hepatopancreatobiliary Cancer Surgery in Ontario, Canada, a Population-Based Cohort Study of Clinical Outcomes. Background In 2006, Cancer Care Ontario created Surgical Oncology Standards for the Delivery of Hepatopancreatobiliary, HPB, Surgery Including Hepatectomy and Pancreatic Aduodenectomy, PD. Our objective was to identify the impact of standardization on outcomes after HPB surgery in Ontario, Canada. Study Design This study was a population-level analysis of patients undergoing hepatectomy or PD, 2003-2019. Logistic regression models were used to compare 30 and 90-day mortality and length of stay, LOS, before, 2003-2006, during, 2007-2011 and after, 2012 to 2019, standardization. Interrupted time series models were used to co-analyze secular trends. Results. A total of 7,904 hepatectomies and 5,238 PDs were performed. More than 80% of all cases were performed at a designated center, DC, before standardization. This increased to greater than 98% in the post-standardization era. Median volumes at DCs increased from 55 to 67 hepatectomies slash year and from 22 to 50 PDs slash year over time. In addition, 30-day mortality after hepatectomy was 2.6% before standardization and 2.3% after standardization, P equals 0.9, 30-day mortality after PD was 3.6% before standardization and 2.4% after standardization, P equals 0.1. Multivariable analyzes revealed a significant difference in 90-day mortality following PD post-standardization, 4.3% versus 6.3%, adjusted odds ratio, 0.7, P equals 0.03. Median loss was shorter for hepatectomy, 6 days versus 8 days and PD, 9 days versus 14 days, 
P less than 0.0001, after standardization. Immediate and late effects on mortality and loss were likely attributable to secular trends, which predated standardization. Conclusions Standardization was associated with a higher volume of hepatectomy in PDs with further concentration of care at DCs. Pre-existing quality initiatives may have attenuated the effect of standardization on quality outcomes. Our data highlight the merits of a multifaceted provincial system for enabling consistent access to high-quality HPB care throughout a region of 15 million people over a 16-year period. Remote Assessment of Real-World Surgical Safety Checklist Performance Using the OR Black Box, a Multi-Institutional Evaluation Background Large-scale evaluation of surgical safety checklist performance has been limited by the need for direct observation. The Operating Room, or Black Box is a multi-channel surgical data capture platform that may allow for the holistic evaluation of checklist performance at scale. Study Design In this retrospective cohort study, Data from seven North American academic medical centers using the OR black box were collected between August 2020 and January 2022. All cases captured during this period were analyzed. Measures of checklist compliance, team engagement, and quality of checklist content review were investigated. Results Data from 7,243 surgical procedures were evaluated. A timeout was performed during most surgical procedures, 98.4%, and equals 7,127, whereas a debrief was performed during 62.3%, and equals 4,510 procedures. The mean percentage of OR staff who paused and participated during the timeout and debrief was 75.5%, ST 25.1%, and 54.6%, ST 36.4%, respectively. A team introduction, performed 42.6% of the time, was associated with more prompts completed, 31.3% versus 18.7%, P less than 0.001, a higher engagement score, 0.90 versus 0.86, P less than 0.001, and a higher percentage of team members who ceased other activities, 80.3% versus 72%, P less than 0.001, during the timeout. Conclusions Remote assessment using or black box data provides useful insight into surgical safety checklist performance. Many items included in the timeout and debrief were not routinely discussed. Completion of a team introduction was associated with improved timeout performance. There is potential to use or black box metrics to improve interoperative process measures. Next article is from Journal of Trauma and Acute Care Surgery. A comparative analysis of tranexamic acid dosing strategies in traumatic major hemorrhage. A comparative analysis of tranexamic acid dosing strategies in traumatic major hemorrhage. Gunn, Finn MBBS, Stevenson, Rihanna BMBS, Alma Walid, Atik PhD, Rosetto, Andrea MBBS, Vuliami, Paul FRCS, PhD, Brohi, Kareem FRCS, FRCA, Davenport, Ross FRCS, Thother Information. Journal of Trauma and Acute Care Surgery 96-2, P216-224, 
February 2024, DOI 10.1097/TA.10.97/TA.0000000000004177. By SDC CME Test Infographic Metrics Abstract in Brief Introduction Tranexamic acid, TXA, is a life-saving treatment for traumatic hemorrhage, but the optimal dosing regimen remains unknown. Different doses and treatment strategies have been proposed, including single bolus, repeated bolus, or bolus plus infusion. The aim of this study was to determine the effect of different TXA dosing strategies on clinical outcomes in bleeding trauma patients. Methods Secondary analysis of a perpetual cohort study from a UK level eye trauma center. Adult patients who activated the local major hemorrhage protocol and received TXA were included. The primary outcome was 28 day mortality. Secondary outcomes were 24 hour mortality, multiple organ dysfunction syndrome, venous thromboembolism, and rotational thrombolistometry fibrinolysis. Results Over an 11 year period, 525 patients were included. Three dosing groups were identified, 1 gram bolus only, N equals 317, 1 gram bolus plus 1 gram infusion over 8 hours, N equals 80, and 2 grams bolus, N equals 128. Demographics and admission physiology were similar, but there were differences in injury severity, median injury severity score, 25, 29, and 25, and admission systolic blood pressure median systolic blood pressure, 99, 108, 99 millimeters Hg, across the 1 gram, 1 gram plus 1 gram, and 2 gram groups. 28-day mortality was 21% in each treatment group. The incidence of multiple organ dysfunction syndrome was significantly higher in the bolus plus infusion group, 84%, versus 1 gram bolus, 64%, and 2 grams bolus, 62% group, P equals 0.002, but on multivariable analysis was non-significant. Venous thromboembolism rates were similar in the 1 gram bolus, 4%, 2 grams bolus, 8%, and bolus plus infusion groups, 7%. There was no difference in rotational thrombolistometry maximum lysis at 24 hours, 5% in both the 1 gram and 2 gram bolus groups versus 4% in bolus plus infusion group. Conclusion Clinical outcomes and 24-hour fibrinolysis state were equivalent across three different dosing strategies of TXA. Single bolus administration is likely preferable to a bolus plus infusion regimen. Thank you for listening to this week in surgery, your filtered medical journal summary. Have a great week ahead, stay blessed and be humane.